0: Well, I, too, want to echo my thanks to the praise team, the worship team. Can't keep up with what we call those people anymore. They were, at one time, the musicians, you know. But uh, it was awesome. Everybody did so well, and they always do so well. Uh, Mr. Richardson, that was an excellent riff on that guitar. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that. Nobody else cared except you and your mom and me. I enjoyed that. So that, that's good. Uh, now, Jason, you, just, you put this together in, in such a way that uh, somehow you create an environment where we are, are welcomed into worship and encouraged to, to participate. Uh, and, and so often what happens on, on, on the platform of a church is just a show, and that is not what happens here and I so appreciate your heart and your spirit in doing that and I don't think we say that enough to you so I I thank you Uh, I trust I hope that y'all had a great Christmas Eve and great Christmas celebrating the marvelous birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ feasting and worshiping and and, and celebrating and and enjoying one another's company Um, you know for the world out there that's all that this is about that's all Christmas means. But, but you and I know it means more than that. Uh, the events that we celebrated yesterday and today and, and virtually every Sunday here uh, is something that happened over 2,000 years ago. If our calendars are near correct, 2020 some years ago. You know, 2020 or 21 years ago. Uh, our calendars are off, so we don't have to, to belabor that. But the deal is, We think that that's a long time. But you know, human beings, according to God, are supposed to last about 70 years or so. Sometimes we last a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. But that means that the events that we celebrated were only 28, 29 lifetimes ago. That puts a little shorter. Um, and, And it is relevant that we celebrate that event that happened as if it happened yesterday and we come here today which is which is one day past christmas all right yesterday was christmas or at least that's when we celebrated it uh and 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 this this month we've been in in the pulpit been been preaching a series of sermons on the incarnation of christ and I want to thank you, uh, say thank you to Pastor Mark uh, for allowing me to, to, to preach this last sermon. It's not the last sermon you're going to hear from this pulpit, unless Jesus carries, in, in which case, let's really celebrate, okay? But, but uh, uh, it, it's the last sermon in this series, and I I thank Pastor Mark for letting me do that. If you remember, Pastor John began this series with us, uh, uh, and he showed us that, that Scripture declares that Jesus was eternally existent, and that he is and was God from the beginning, that it was he who created everything, that he was the giver of life, and that he would be the one who would save those who believed in him. And the next two Sundays, Pastor Mark uh, spoke, and and he spoke first from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. And he showed us that that as God's Son, the birth of Christ rearranges and reorders our plans. Even even plans as as intimate and personal as marriage plans. And, And the birth of deity confounds a materialistic view of our world. Which is in kind of stark contrast with the Christmases that we all know here in our culture, isn't it? That the the birth of deity confounds a man-based view of salvation. And and Pastor Mark showed us uh, various historical, scientific, and theological details that prove that Jesus was God and not just man. And then last week, Pastor Mark took us to chapter 2 of Matthew and to Revelation chapter 12. And and, and through the story of the Magi, he again showed us through their eyes uh, the evidence of Christ's deity. And now me i'm sorry y'all draw the short straw this morning you know <laughs> all the good guys are gone but I want, I want to tell you something i don't really have a lot to add to what those guys said because everything they said was true and, and we could talk for, for for days and months and not exhaust it okay but but it, i realized that one thing that is seldom talked about about the incarnation of christ about god becoming man and dwelling in this world in flesh the one thing that is seldom talked about about that is that it really happened and so i've got 12 points for you and don't don't panic don't panic some of them are going to just be up there on the screen for like 30 seconds so hang in here with me okay um but but this is not theological so much as it is historical And so, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. See, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is correct, the events of of 28 lifetimes ago, 2,000 years ago, changed the lives and the eternity of everyone on this planet for the history of this planet if the gospel of luke is correct god himself had come in human flesh for for us and and to dwell among us and and to shed his blood for us so that so that we could be freed from the penalty of our own sins the the incarnation of christ definitely was a a game changer kind of an event so please find in your bible the gospel of luke matthew mark luke and john so it's like the the third one, okay, from from the beginning of the New Testament. Not the beginning of the Bible. That's that's like Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, you know. You're in the wrong wrong group. Okay. Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter one. And we're going to begin with verse one in the Gospel of Luke. Um so please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Gospel of Luke, chapter one, beginning with verse one. First four verses. He says inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word it seemed fitting for me as well having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order almost excellent theophilus so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught this is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I I thank you for all the ideas and the words you've given me for this message and, and the ones that I erased and, and the ones that that uh, you kept and tweaked. It's been a little bit like drinking from a fire hose sometimes as I prepared. But, but Lord, I pray this morning, as I have from the beginning of this, that you will be able to... to Enable me to present your word in truth that you will cause those who are here and those who are listening or or watching from the internet this morning to, to see and to remember those things this morning that you have ordained their ears to hear and understand. I pray this morning, Lord, that you will open each of our hearts to the reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and what that means to each of us and to our existence in eternity. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, who came to us that first Christmas morning so long ago. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, the first thing, that's your cue, the first thing that I want you to see here this morning is that Luke alleges that everything in his gospel really happened. He states that, that his writing is an account of the things that were accomplished. The things that happened. And notice that they happened among us, he says. He alleges that, that there were, were more than one or two witnesses who, who actually viewed these things and, and had first-hand experience with these things. In, in verse 2, the story of these Things were, were, were handed down from eyewitness to others. In other words, when Luke wrote these things down, you could actually go to those people and, and, and you could go to the people he mentions and talk with them and talk with others who knew them who would corroborate all of these stories. Sometimes people wonder, well, how come Luke didn't put this in? And the answer is simple because he couldn't corroborate it. If you notice in the Gospel of Luke, there's very little in there about Joseph. Why? Because Joseph is gone, he had died. Luke couldn't talk to him. How come the Magi in not there? Because they're too far away. He couldn't get to them. You follow what I'm saying? The stuff that Luke records are stuff that he could verify. Kind of cool when you think about it. He says, look, look, look at verse 3. Look, look at what he, he said he did. He investigated. How much did he investigate? Everything he wrote down. Everything. Carefully from When? The beginning. So that he could write it down in consecutive order for this guy, Theophilus. The- this guy. I have trouble with my tongue sometimes this morning. He-, he spoke to eyewitnesses. And we don't know who Theophilus was, okay? We don't. We, we-, we know he's probably a believer because he says uh, it had been related to him already and stuff like that. But-, but who he was, we don't know. But aren't you glad that he was friends with, with Luke? Because now we got this thing. Because Theophilus was-, was having a hard time grasping the whole thing. So Luke spoke to eyewitnesses himself. He checked it all out. He made sure that the people who were reported to have seen something actually saw something. And, and he got their statements so as to, to what it was that they actually saw. What was Luke saying here? What he's saying here is, is that he is only reporting or recording those things that he was able to verify. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take just one of the stories from Luke's gospel and see what that says to us about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, okay? If you don't buy the premise, you don't buy the whole rest of it, so make sure you got that part down, okay? Now his purpose, he says, in verse 4, is so that we, people like you and I, may know what? The exact truth about these. The exact truth. Isn't that cool? Flip over a couple pages. Turn, to me, turn with me to, to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to begin with verse 6. And we're going to read to the end of the story pretty much. Uh, uh, just a verse or two at a time. So hang in here with me. Luke 2 verse 6. And we're going to look at the story of the shepherds. A story that, according to Luke, has been verified as exact fact. Verified. It's interesting to me that that Luke seldom in his gospel uh, uh, says what a story means or or what it should mean to us. But but instead, he tends to only tell us that it happened. He he, he leaves the what it means up to the apostles and to the disciples and, and to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and to us to decide what it means. His purpose is to tell us the exact truth about how it happened. He tends to leave the meaning of these things up to to others. So let's begin this story. Luke 2, beginning in verse 6. In this chapter, already in the first six verses of it, Luke has already told us about a tax from Caesar and the fact that that Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem to register and and, and to pay their taxes, okay? And so we get to verse 6, and here's what it says. It says, while they were there, where? In Bethlehem, the days were completed for her, who, Mary, to give birth. Okay, you got to, we're kind of jumping in the middle here. And it says, she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The second proof, the second thing I want you to see here this morning, is that Mary and Joseph were real people, in a real place, at a real time time. This is huge. Luke goes to great lengths to prove to us that he knows exactly what he's talking about regarding the, hysterus, the his, regarding the fact that it was historical. I can't talk this morning. The word is historicity. I don't know why I couldn't say it a moment ago, but I can. These events are, are, actually happen. He wants us to know that they happen. So he gives us all kinds of historical, not hysterical, but historical proofs that they happen, that he knows what he's talking about. You know how you see these, these paintings and, and nativity scenes and Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus are all quiet and serene, you know, and each one's got their own little halo and Mary's praying at the feet of Jesus. You know? No offense to anybody, but I really don't think it happened that way. And I certainly don't see that the gospel of Luke records it that way. See, first of all, Mary and Joseph, throughout all the Gospels, not just Luke's, Mary and Joseph are depicted as ordinary, real people. They had this stuff hanging all over them. Certainly they were wonderful and righteous and all that. I'm not saying that they weren't, but, but they were normal too. They weren't walking around with a pious smile on their heads and their hands folded all day long. The text doesn't even hint at that. Only weirdos do that. Go there for a minute, okay? If you have a neighbor that walks around like this, what do you do? You walk away from them. Mary and Joseph were real. They were like you and me. Mary and Joseph were normal people, like uh, reacting like normal people in the middle of an extraordinary circumstance. For example, Mary and Joseph were in love. Can we go there for a moment this moment? Too too often we miss, we lose sight Of this very important facet Of their relationship Mary just absolutely Loved this guy Joseph And Joseph was head over heels In love with this girl Mary They were in love And in this respect they were a totally Normal character Normal couple They would have joked with one another Don't lovers joke with one another You betcha they do they, they would have gotten on each other's nerves. That happens too, doesn't it? Yeah. Guys, think about your wife. Nine months pregnant. At, 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 and you're at the end of a very long journey. Whether you're riding a donkey or walking, they don't matter. You're at the end of this long journey. And she is nine months pregnant. And you get to the destination and they ain't nowhere to stay. This is a recipe for a total meltdown disaster. Am I, do I hear an amen there, guys? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's going to be handled with the pious smile. Oh, that's okay, Joe. <laughs> so, so, so they finally find some shelter. And they're sitting in the stable, and they're grateful to God that they've actually found some kind of place to stay the night. And and they're trying to kind of pass the time. And Mary's not feeling good, because you know what's about to happen. And she's, you know, kind of having those beginning, and Joseph's trying to keep busy to kind of keep his mind off of what he's pretty sure is going to happen pretty soon. And maybe Mary mentioned something like, Joe, if the baby comes while we're still in this stable, how, how are we going to care for him? So Joseph kind of looks around and he finds a, maybe a stone feeding trough and, and he cleans it out. And he puts new straw inside. and Mary probably laughs at the whole concept. But you know what? It's keeping Joe busy. And so she's happy. Ladies, am I right? Yeah. And when the baby comes they kind of clean him up and and then when it comes time for Mary to get some rest she and Joseph swaddle the baby in cloths you know and, and Joseph gently lays the baby Jesus in the manger and and when that's happened and I kind of think that this loving couple would have joked about their situation I think maybe Mary might have said giggled you know and said <laughs> Joseph If if your mother could see what you're doing right now, she would have your hide. What you're putting her first grandson in, in a manger, in a feeding trough, oh my goodness. And they would have laughed about that. Oh my goodness. Anyway, I think it probably happened something like that. Ladies, think about your husband. If he were Joseph in that kind of a situation, think about what he might have done and and, and about what he might have said and how how you might have reacted to it. Well, let's go on. Verse 8. In the same region, it says, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. Third proof I want you to see here is that Third proof that I want you to see that Luke investigated here is that there were shepherds and sheep in the fields in that area that night. How do you know that? How did did Luke, Luke, Luke know that? Because he talked to some people who were there. He he talked to eyewitnesses. These shepherds were probably still alive. There were people who knew those shepherds and people who lived in Bethlehem. Luke went to them. He checked it out. There were shepherds. There were sheep. They were there. What does that tell you? This is seemingly an insignificant detail, but Luke checked it out. Real people in a real place at a real time. So who were these guys, these shepherds? Well, tradition tells us That they were youth who worked for the priests. that, That the sheep that they shepherded were sheep that would one day be sold as lambs for the sacrifices. And what were these guys doing, these shepherds? Well, it was in the middle of the night and the sheep were all settled down. The shepherds, we don't know how many, maybe there were two or three or four or five, we don't know. But, but it was a common practice for, for several shepherds to, to herd their flocks together so that one or two guys could watch over the flocks while the others sat by the fire and slept. Now, most people think that's what was going on. So here are these guys, these guys sitting around the fire, horsing around, telling jokes, doing the things that adolescent boys do. Just let your mind go there for a minute. And look at what happened. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Fourth proof. The fourth thing I want you to see is that the angel was real. Luke investigated. Look at this encounter. First, who was this angel? Well, we don't know. Could have been Gabriel. He already showed up one or t- once or twice here in this story. But but we don't know. Could have been another another angel. Um, but what we do know is that his title. He was an angel of the Lord, and he appeared suddenly. Now. It means suddenly it means we didn't see him walking up the hillside uh, from a distance no no he's he just suddenly appeared it, it's like he walked through a portal or a door or maybe he in, materialized in front of them that alone I'm here to tell you would have been unnerving in the middle of the night okay just go there if you're one of those teenage boys but it didn't stop there see this was an angel and angels aren't those romantic, female, beautiful creatures like we see artists' depictions of. Oh no, they are scary creatures and very dangerous creatures. In the Old Testament, one angel obliterated an army of 180,000 men overnight. In just one night, he killed them all. Some angels look kind of like we do sometimes. They, they sort of look human. And in other times, the Bible describes them as very strange-looking creatures to us. In the book of Revelation, some of the angels are giants, and, 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 and others have hundreds of eyes all over their bodies, and still others have multiple faces so they can see everywhere at the same time. But this one, this angel, we know, we know this is a scary angel. How do we know? Because the first words out of his mouth are, don't be afraid. But it was too late. Because they already were scared to death. They, they were afraid. They were, they, were, they were so afraid they were like little puddles standing below them where each one of these guys stood, okay? They were terrified. And there's one more thing. And this scared these, these shepherds almost, if not as much, a, as the angel's presence. And that is, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around about them. Now, this light didn't just envelop the angel. It surrounded the shepherds, too. And it doesn't just say, well, a powerful light shone upon them. It specifically says it was the glory of the Lord. If you remember your Old Testament, God says, if you look at me and see my glory, it will kill you. This was something special. In Revelation, it says that in heaven, we will not have need for the sun or the stars because the glory of the Lord will be there. In Genesis, in the beginning of creation, God says, "Let there be light," and there was light. Have you ever wondered where that light came from? The sun and the stars didn't come for a couple more days. That light came from God himself. It is that same light that the shepherds saw. It wasn't light that just the light that their eyes could see. It was light that they could actually feel and experience. Get the picture? This was blowing these guys' minds. Can't you see these teenage boys standing there, not being able to move? Just just like, oh my goodness. It's like that song, I Can Only Imagine. This was beyond their wildest dreams. They had never seen or heard or, or even thought about experiencing anything like that. But it ain't over yet. Because the angel begins to talk to them, and he delivers a message that he's been told by God to deliver directly to these poor, dirty, unimportant, inconsequential shepherd boys. See, if we had seen those shepherd boys in the marketplace a day before, we would have gone, boys need a wash. We wouldn't have cared about them a flip. What does the angel say? He says, guys, I got some good news for you from God himself. This is good news of great joy, which is for who? What does it say? Everybody. All people. Do you realize that this angel told these shepherd boys to just, in that phrase, to do the same thing that Jesus told his disciples to do just before he ascended to heaven? He says, go tell everybody. Interesting parallel, isn't it? I wonder what that might have to say about us as we read this story. I don't have time to get into that. You have to figure that one out Why not yourself. Fifth proof I want you to see here. The message was real. So what was the message? Today. Today. Not someday in the sweet by and by, but today. Now, I want you to get this perfectly clear. This isn't a prophecy about something that will happen. This is a declaration that something had already taken place. It had already happened. God is saying to these boys, fasten your seatbelts, sons. The day is soon going to come when your sheep that you've been tending all this time will no longer be needed because the Savior of the world who will sacrifice himself for the sins of many, he has already come. He is here right now. Look at what happens next. Look at what this angel says. He says, this will be a sign for you. Verse 12, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. The angel said, you will, not you might. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now, a baby, in what the King James Version calls swaddling clothes, or swaddling cloths, this translation uh, calls cloths, that's not extraordinary in any way. This is normal for, for young infants to be wrapped in that fashion uh, in that era. Uh, much the same way as, as, as doctors and nurses teach new, new mothers of newborns to swaddle their children because it, it quiets them and makes them feel cozy and, and, and comfy. So it was normal. Uh, what was unusual is that, that an, a manger... A stone feeding trough or or, or even one like that is not the kind of place that you would want to put a baby It's cold. It's it's not sturdy. It's 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 just not where you'd want to put an infant It's it's Like everything else that night that these boys were experiencing that everything else This was going to be way outside the ordinary See, this baby was the sign of the Savior. Not just any baby, but but a baby in that rather peculiar situation. So here's the next thing I want you to realize about this passage. The sixth proof of, of what I want you to see is that the sign was real. Finding a baby in a manger meant that there really was a Savior here already. What did the angels told them? Well, today, in Bethlehem, a Savior had been born, who is Christ the Lord. This is huge. The, the angel alone was extraordinary. People, 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 Christians especially, have fantasized, oh, I'd like to see an angel. These guys saw one. It was right there in front of them, talking to them. Freaked them out. And the news that the angel brought was extraordinary. The, the offer of proof was given so that these young men could go and verify the extraordinary thing that that angel had said to them. Wow! What a night! But wait, there's more. Verses 13 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The seventh proof. There were a multitude of angels. They were there. It says, and suddenly, just like the first angel appeared, all of a sudden, there appeared a great multitude of angels. We have no idea what that language means. Suddenly there appeared. The, the first, if, if, if the first angel just materialized, then that's what these angels did. They did something similar. If the first angel kind of walked through a, a door from heaven or through a, some kind of heavenly portal, then that's what happened here too. Only, only the door kind of stays open and the shepherds may have been able to see into heaven itself. But regardless of, of, of what they were actually viewing, because we don't really know, the main portion of what they saw was a great multitude of angels. The, the concept of, of a great multitude usually says that there, there are more people or more things here than you could possibly count, or, or that, that you have time to count, or, or in this sense, that you even have time to, to estimate. That means that the shepherds were seeing angels everywhere. I mean, they may have been up in the sky or, or all along the hillsides. Or there are angels up close and, and, and far away, trailing off into the distance, and angels up high and down low, big angels and little angels. Remember that angel in the, in the book of Revelation that, that, that was so big he put one foot on, on the ocean and the other foot on the shore? Maybe they saw that guy, okay? Or, or, or I'm told that... that, that, that monks used to debate one another about how many angels you could fit on the head of a pin, And I don't know if you could fit them on the head of the pin. but if you could, and there were angels like that, then, then they saw angels like that too, just fluttering all around. I don't, know, I don't know what they saw, but there were angels everywhere. Big ones, little ones, all kinds of angels. And what were these angels doing? They were praising God with their speech. Now we want to say that these angels were singing, but it doesn't say that. I mean, that's what human beings do when we praise to God. It's just like what we just experienced up here with the music team. Okay? That's a great thing. And, and I'm not saying that they weren't. I'm just saying the Bible doesn't say exactly what it was that, 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 they, that they heard. But we know that they were praising God. And as humans, that's what we do. We praise God in song and music. But if it was music, see, my mind goes in weird ways. What, what kind of music were these guys were cool. hearing? Don't you wonder? I mean I mean, was it was it classical music like Handel's Messiah? Oh, hallelujah. Was it that kind of thing? Or or, or or was it maybe Gregorian chant or Baroque or or maybe it was rock and roll or big band or, or country or rap or hip hop or jazz or indie or, or blues or, or what about ska? Look it up. Talk to my daughter. Maybe it was K-pop. Or Bollywood. Or or something else. Psalm says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. What what if it was a combination of everything? A great cacophony of sound. My purpose here is to get you thinking outside of the box of medieval paintings. I want you to see the, the possibilities of what the shepherds were experiencing that night. And then... The angels were gone. It doesn't say how they left. It doesn't say if they vanished suddenly or if they faded out gradually. But they left. And those shepherd boys were alone in the darkness. The only sounds they heard were the sounds of the night and, and an occasional bleeding of a lamb. Look at verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known unto us. I I, kind of think that the shepherds just kind of stood there for a while. Maybe a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, I don't know. Just standing there in silence, just waiting just trying to process what it was that, that they had just experienced. And then one of them kind of says, do you see what I saw? Yep. Do you hear what I heard? Yep. Golly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And one of them says, "What would that angel say about a sign?" Well, that it it would be a baby in a manger. That's weird. Yep. Want to go see? Yeah. How could they not? That's the eighth proof I want you to see here. The shepherds actually checked out the angel's story. To to see a sight like that, to to just see one angel was magnificent, but then to see a whole myriad of angels as far as the eye could see, to to hear them, each one praise God, and and hear sounds that no human ear had ever heard before, to experience something like that and not want to check it out, that just just defies imagination. You'd want to know about it. You'd want to go see. I would. We all would. So look at verse 16. Luke says, so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. It says they came in a hurry. King James in ESV says they came with haste. Proof number nine. The shepherds were excited to see proof of what the angel had said. They went right then. Where did they go? Well, to Bethlehem to that little village down down the hill in the valley probably oh I don't know two three or four miles away not very far how did they go they went in a hurry they they, they went with haste it doesn't say they left immediately it says they went in a hurry they came in a hurry what does that look like well to me I think it looks like they were running down the hill You know how all all the nativity scenes, there's a shepherd with sheep and sometimes he's got one around his neck, you know, and that looks so quiet and so serene. I don't think they took the sheep with them because they came in a hurry. They came with haste. I think that when they started walking down the hill, they were walking and then they walked a little faster and a little faster after that. And by the time they got to Bethlehem, they were running full out. (sighs) And they get there on the edge of the city. And they realize they have no idea where they're going. I mean, they knew where to find the baby it was in Bethlehem. But where? Oh, in a manger. And where is that manger? They didn't know. I think the conversation may have gone something like this. Oh, excuse me for doing that. these these boys would would have stopped outside of the town and because they didn't know there was a manger they they would have looked at one another hoping one of them had heard something that they had missed you know because guys are like that I don't pay that good of attention so maybe my friend over there paid attention he said well we go this way and all of them just standing there kind of (sighs) waiting panting one of them says well we're here kind of like somebody move yep I don't see a baby nope what are we supposed to do now it was exciting running down the hill (laughs) but I'm just here I guess we'll have to go search for him the Bible says they found their way That means they looked for him. They searched through the village until they found him. So the boys would have have begun to knock on every door they came to looking for that baby. In the middle of the night, the sun wasn't up yet. It was still dark where they were. They're knocking on the doors. Can you imagine what the people, how they felt in the middle of the night being roused up by these shepherd boys so early in the morning? Excuse me, sir. Do you happen to have a baby in there wrapped in cloths lying in a manger? what you wake me up at 3 a.m. in the morning to ask me a stupid question like that get out of here well no baby here try the next house excuse me sir do you have a baby he just goes on and on all the way through the village and pretty soon, people begin to follow these boys, partially in, in anger. Why do you wake me up so early in the morning for? The sun's not up. You waked up my kids. The, the animal, the dog's barking. And so they're beginning to ask people. The people are beginning to ask the shepherds about what the heck they are doing. And, 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 and they would have said, well, uh, there was this angel. I didn't see any angel. Do you see an angel? I think these boys are drunk. And the villagers would have just followed them all the way through. And finally, they get to the stable where Mary and Joseph were. Now, remember, this is a loving couple that jokes with one another. And, and so they knock. And, and, and in my version, Mary maybe have came to the door first because and, and, Joseph is, is quieting the baby or, or something. And, 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 and uh, 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 they, they knock on the door. Excuse me, ma'am. Do you, do you happen to have a baby in there wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger? And Mary kind of looks at her husband and she giggles. <laughs> Well, as a matter of fact, we do. (laughs) We found him! And she says, come on in, boys, and see for yourself. Look at what it says next. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds the tenth proof I want you to see here is that the shepherds told everyone there and those people too became witnesses that's what the angels told them to do there he was there he was the anointed one of God The one that the angel had said was a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel said, he is Christ the Lord. Unlike most people in our culture think, the the word Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means the anointed one or Messiah. And and, and Jesus said, and the angel said that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. The The angel said, this is the guy." He said he is the Lord. Not like the Lord of the manor, but the Lord God Almighty. See, when an angel talks about the Lord, they only have one. He's God. The angel said he is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Lord God Almighty. Not he will be when he grows up, but he is now, just as he is. A newborn babe lying in a manger. Only God could be like that. If he was human, he'd have to grow up first. He'd have to do some great thing first. But but not if he was God. As God, as the great I am, he could just be God, even though he was just an infant. The angel told them that when they finally found this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, that they would literally be looking at the face of God, the creator of the universe himself. No wonder these shepherds ran down the hill. No wonder they didn't mind making a commotion in the middle of the night in the village. These young shepherds knew that, that, that they were now looking in the face of God himself. When they found that baby, just like the angel said he would be, well, they realized that, that when an angel gives you a sign and then you find that sign, just like the angel said it would be, that, that what the angel said about that sign would also be True. That this angel was the Savior, excuse me, this this child was the Savior of the world. Our Messiah. It was really true. Our God, our Savior was here. And so they begin to tell their story from the beginning. About the angel who who scared them in the middle of the night. About what the angel said about the baby in the manger. About the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And about the good news that was for all the world. And all the people who followed those boys through the village on their search marveled at what they heard. God himself, this baby before them, would be their Savior. Next two verses. Verses 19 and 20, it says, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, just as it had been told them. Proof number 11. I don't have that many fingers. This unbelievable event is told in very believable words. Mary was still grappling with all of this in her heart. How could my baby be God? See, even though she had her own visit from an angel, even though she also journeyed to see the promised sign that that angel gave her, even though everything her angel had told her had come true, she still had trouble grasping it in her heart. And that fact alone tells me that this event was true. That Mary was a real person dealing with something that was inconceivable, unbelievable. It's like that wonderful Christmas carry. Oh, Carol, oh Mary, did you know? It's one thing to be told something by an angel and to comprehend it with your mind, but it's a whole other thing to grasp something with this magnitude with your heart. This alone is is proof of Christ's divinity. It's proof that the events of this night really happened just like the Scripture says. Mary is not having doubts here. She's trying to grasp the magnitude of what God has done. This event is literally incomprehensible. And yet, here it is. Here her son is. Here her savior is. Here her baby is. Here the creator of the world is. And while she's still dealing with these things in her heart. She can hear the shepherds going back to their camp, praising God and glorifying God for the things that they have experienced this night. What I want you to see about this story, this passage of Scripture this morning, is that this series of events went down exactly like the Scripture said it went down. This is eyewitness information from the people who were really there these were real people they weren't halo heads having some sort of religious uh, dream these were people just like you and just like me they had intelligence well maybe not like me so, but but they were like you they were just like you they had brains the people of Bethlehem were roused up in, in the middle of the night and they marveled at the story that they heard. Everybody, everybody that night saw the baby wrapped in swaddly clothes lying in a manger and all of them marveled at what had transpired. This wasn't some sort of mass hallucination. The way the story is written, the way the story is told doesn't fit that mold at all. Mass hallucinations just don't work that way. No, this event Actually happened just like the scripture says oh maybe some of my embellishments this morning are not exactly precise but the scripture is so the questions you have to ask this morning is if this story is true then who is Jesus see if Jesus isn't God then this story isn't true but if the story is true then Jesus is God he didn't become God he was God before he was born he was God as an infant this is the last thing I want you to understand this morning proof number 12 because Jesus is God you and I can be saved from your and my sins If Jesus really is God, then all the claims about his deity that both he and the scripture allege are absolutely, totally true. Just listen to a few of these claims and and we'll be done. A few of these claims about the deity of Christ and, 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 and see how this affects you and me. In Colossians, it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his Christ. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you formerly were alienated and hostile in in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you through his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. That's only possible if Jesus was God. Again in Colossians it says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and in him you have been made complete and he is the head and over all and rule and authority. Again, that can only describe God. can describe some man In Ephesians, last passage and I'll close. Chapter 1, it says, Just as He, God, chose Him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us to, be, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times that is the summing up of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things on the earth in him it says also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works in all things after the will of his counsel to that end we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory Last verse, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the scripture goes on and on and on. See, Jesus didn't come to make it possible for us to be really, really nice. That wasn't his purpose at all. He didn't come to give us a new holiday where we would give presents and tell stories about Santa Claus and do good deeds for a few days and feel kind of warm and fuzzy inside. That wasn't his purpose either. Jesus came to save us from the penalty of our sins because unless God did something, we were all doomed to go to hell. The question is not... Does the scripture proclaim that Jesus was God? It does. The question is, did it really happen? From the evidence presented, I personally believe that it did, like the scripture said, just exactly like the scripture says. I believe that with all my heart, and that belief clearly has changed my life. My question for you is, do you believe it? Did it really happen? Because you see, if you do believe it, the Bible has this to say about you. It says that those who believe it all, from the birth through his sacrificial death on the cross for your sins to his resurrection three days later, that those who believe these things will be saved. I hope that describes you. Let's pray.